0: Welcome to the Impact Central Leadership Podcast, where better founders build better businesses, impact always matters, and success goes beyond profit. Hey SL, we're back for podcast number three! (laughs) It's Friday afternoon and we're going
1: slightly mental because we've been closed in this room for what feels like several hours.
0: Being podcast number three, I thought we had a brief brief recap. What were the first two podcasts? What kind of companies did we talk to?
1: So we spoke to Yendi.
0: Yeah, and so that's beauty products.
1: Beauty products for women, designed by a man. Yeah. Interesting. (laughs) Then we had Bedstraw Matter. And they are? Developing knickers. Well, in addition to knickers, they are developing non-toxic clothing and colouring.
0: Right. So, you know, this is the Impact Central Leadership Podcast. And of course, you know, in both of those cases, you can clearly see the impact. But we're an accelerator. I mean, doesn't that mean tech?
1: You would be forgiven for thinking it does mean tech. And I think what's different about us compared to lots of other accelerators is that we're very sector agnostic. And I think that plays in our favor in many ways because it allows us to explore different avenues. I think the thing that's different when you are looking specifically at impact, I mean, that's hard enough, Mm -hmm. trying to do a business and it be impactful. So to then narrow the accelerator to impact, plus it must be only tech, Right. it's just too reductive and
0: but you know but some people got to be saying you know hey but can you really be a startup and not do tech because like tech's efficient right you can write apps you can do software you don't have to spend a lot of money you can be a small team isn't that the way you should do it I mean isn't it isn't it all about tech
1: I think it's definitely one way you can do it yeah and I think we're a lot more curious about interrogating different ways that you can do things mm-hmm. and I think as well Being creative in that allows you to open up more opportunities for what is possible.
0: It's interesting because we've been using two words. We've been talking about like, on the one hand, you have tech. On the other hand, you have creative. Mm. And I think there's been this bifurcation or a separation between, all right, you got the hard crunching, tech guys that are out there and they're going to build these apps and they're going to build the unicorn and they're going to be awesome and then you got the fluffy creative people on the right side and yeah you know we love a good theater we like to we love to listen to music but they can't be related or can they what do you mean
1: well i think there is an opportunity where you can bring those two worlds together and that's not impossible and i think that thinking about the arts and tech solution to that? Is that possible? Yeah, it is. But what if you marry those two things together in a way that was the best for both worlds? Mm -hmm. And I think that's what's so interesting about um, who we're going to be talking with today.
0: So our guests today are the the arts revolution. They're they're fixing arts education. And uh, as I was saying earlier, you know, is it just about, you know, kind of that creative fluffy side, but, you know, increasingly we've discovered that actually creativity runs across everything yeah companies are clamoring yeah for creative people even you know the the best tech people that are leading startups they're very creative mm. so you know what is it that we need to do to get more creative people
1: what excites me most about this and about talking to these guys this afternoon is the power of creativity to unleash new ways of learning. And I think that's something that, if I'd known that when I was a kid, I think I would have approached my violin and piano lessons very differently. (laughs) Uh, My poor mum. I think it's so powerful because it activates a different part of your brain, doesn't it? Right. And when you have that explained and you have that explained in the context of the wider world and the possibility, it creates this whole new world that is colourful and not necessarily as black and white as you thought it was. right? And it unleashes possibility for what your future could look like. And I think that's hugely exciting.
0: Yeah, and I, I think also what, you know, maybe, maybe some of the kind of uh, embarrassing evidence for, you know, inequality is the fact that in our wealthiest schools, yeah. there is a lot of arts education. There are... A lot of musicians and people that do theater and and all of these things uh, that um, you know increasingly we recognize as being important for jobs and things like that is available yeah but uh, you know we, we need to find a way we need to find a way to get that same type of creative education to everybody in yeah. the UK and I, I think our, our guests today have an amazing solution for that absolutely without uh, saying any more, why don't we Head over and speak with Ben and Agnes of The Arts Revolution. Welcome to the Impact Central Leadership Podcast, where we believe better founders build better startups. We have two exciting guests with us today. We have The Arts Revolution. Woohoo! And the founders of The Arts Revolution, we have Agnes, Daniel, and Ben Ashby. Welcome to the podcast.
2: Hi.
1: Welcome, guys. So great to have you here with us. Yeah, so
0: great to be here. So I thought we'd just get right on into it, because people are probably wondering, what exactly is The Arts Revolution? Uh,
2: The Arts Revolution is basically we're aiming to have a comprehensive arts offering to schools to basically make arts education accessible to everybody. So whether that be for schools that find it hard to afford a quality arts education or families that find it hard to afford a quality arts education, we're trying to level the playing field um, in a sustainable way and a good business way.
0: And I think um, you know, some people are going to say, we're, you know, we're in some difficult times. Schools are going through some difficult funding. Is arts education really that important? Why should we focus on arts education?
2: lots of things are luxuries but arts kind of especially music which is something that you're both ben and i musicians arts and creativity really gives people uh, it kind of uniquely gives people a sense of freedom a sense of comfort it's something that surrounds us all the time and especially with children going through so many different changes in their lives at the moment having that grounding and that Opportunity to be creative is it something that is incredibly important for mental health? Or all the things that surround that community.
3: Yeah, I also think that in um, in the society and the way that the economy is is developing, I mean, it's a well-known fact uh, and it's, it's very well documented uh, that music uh, has a profound effect on the development of a child's brain. Mm-hmm. It's it's a particular way of of thinking, uh, creative thinking, which hasn't been as understood particularly in STEM industries Mm -hmm. um, before but I think especially uh, recently there's been a a bit of a revelation in business and uh, in engineering and in other similar industries uh, that a creative thinker is extremely important in their business and they need more of these creative thinkers Uh, and they need a diverse and malleable workforce that can innovate for them so you know i think i think it's twofold i think yeah
2: and i think it's interesting that like this word the word creative is quite we use it quite broadly Mm -hmm. when we say creative subjects like arts and things yes of course we're talking about that ability to kind of be spontaneous and express oneself and be emotional and all those types of things but also specifically music it's also incredibly logical yes it's creative but it's very very logical and there's a lot of connection between those that have a very mathematical brain also having a very musical brain and the link between that is so strong and so defined that actually being creative is not just about being emotional and i think now we're starting to realize and industries are starting to realize that It's not a loose word. It's not a bad word. It's actually a very, very, it's actually a very smart word. And if you are able to be creative and be both logical, but flexible, that Mm. is an incredibly important skill in in STEM and mathematics and engineering
3: and things like that.
0: Um, Which which seems almost kind of counterintuitive, where I think a lot of people would think, oh, okay, so uh, I need my kid to do programming and study physics and chemistry. But actually, if you really wanted them to kind of do groundbreaking things, in other words, come up with new ideas, whether that be in those subjects or other subjects, um, as you've identified, creativity is something that comes a lot out of the creative skills like music and art. Absolutely.
2: So my husband is a software engineer, very skilled software engineer, works in a big company in London. But he is also a double bass player and a percussionist and had that all through his life. His music was a huge part of his childhood. His family is musical, but also he has that connection with both things. And I think that Hmm. probably shows, you know, music has taught him by being part of orchestras and ensembles and things like that. He works. The reason he's, you know, his career has accelerated so far and he's a manager at such a young age is because he knows how to work with people and that has come from his musical education. He might have an incredibly mathematical brain, but he has other skills that music gives you Mm. that makes you a more valuable employee. Mm. Can you tell us um,
1: or share some case studies or examples of maybe young people that you've worked with that you've seen? they have improved in their grades, for example, because of the interaction that they've had. So I have a
2: student um, who is now in his final year of school. He's um, approaching, he's just doing his university applications, and he started with me when he was in year three, so eight turning nine. Very, very dyslexic boy. Fiercely intelligent, very, very dyslexic, and really struggled at the start with the violin, but really had a kind of just innate love of music um, and really kind of took to it and was very passionate about it but you know struggled with some things like you know, rhythm and all those types of things but by doing music he 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 created a whole other side to his personality so as we worked with him like when he went to secondary school he got a music place because he was slightly more musical and that meant that he got into this good secondary school mm-hmm. because of that and then he became part of a community where there was orchestras and things and that was really different defi- he was defined as being a good musician, but his love as he as it kind of started going on his uh, his love became more and more engineering maths physics, and because he'd been in orchestras and all those things, he would even in fact he he 's just been made head boy at the this school cool. and in his speech about being head boy, he talked about how music had given him this opportunity and given him the confidence to speak in public. And to be more confident in his studies and how hard work had mm. the work that it took for him to be a violinist and to have that thing actually really helped with his exams and understanding how his brain worked and mm. things like that and now he's probably off to go to Imperial to do uh, aeronautical engineering That's incredible, yeah. and that's amazing and that's you know the, the thing to remember about what we do that I think is really important for people un- to understand is that it's such a valuable thing but it's a slow burn you, yeah. you've got to look at that kid that was eight years old is now 17, 18 Mm -hmm. and he's doing incredible things and music has definitely played a really big part in that. But if you expect to see that impact after year one, you're missing the longer trajectory.
1: And I think as well, you guys work across the span of all of the arts, so it's not just music, right? Yeah. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about the other
3: well, we're, we're quite in early stages with the other arts uh, we, uh, Agnes and I are, are trained musicians so that's absolutely our forte, but all the other art forms give um, a variety of skills. For example, dance is, is an amazing way of physically communicating um, certain languages, I guess. Mm-hmm. And so we set up a contemporary dance classes. To combine arts we um, set up musical theatre. So we were able to teach um, the dance, the drama and the music side um, for someone who wanted a bit more of a generalist overview of the three disciplines but, but really wanted to get plugged in. Um, and we saw some amazing results um, from some of these uh, children. Um, There was uh, one boy who came from Poland and he was at the school for two years but couldn't speak English. So he got absolutely nowhere in his uh, school work. He was, I think, going into year two and the head teacher was really worried about this child Mm -hmm. just not being able to do anything. And so we got him involved with uh, the musical theatre and then we also got him um, doing piano. What was amazing was to see him understand and communicate in a very different way Mm -hmm. and through that discipline um, he was able to start understanding English through his musical theatre because what he was doing is he was physically engaging with the words he was singing and and it it had a new context with it Uh, and so he was actually able to uh, improve his English language. And now, I mean, the, the head teacher was astonished to see what one year could do. And, and uh, now his his English is really taking off. I
0: guess the challenge with some of the examples you guys have, have pointed out is that, of course, arts education has been massively scaled back. Uh, we don't have a lot of arts education. There's real a problem in in the UK. Maybe. You guys can tell us a little bit about um, you know, the, the state of arts education and why uh, and, and what you guys are doing about it.
3: Yeah, it's quite sad to look at the stats, um, ISM report that came out last year showed that um, music and arts had fallen by 26.7% in schools over, on average, which is a, a huge drop. That's, uh, that's a quarter of people on those subjects now not learning. Yeah. Obviously, there's a profound effect. Now there is there is defunding in schools to some degree. What's interesting is to see the disproportionate hit towards creative subjects. Um, Because also
2: it's now been left to schools. I think the major change that has changed is that back you know twenty thirty years ago it was much more of a kind of um, local collective thing, whereas now the, the whole responsibility has shifted to schools to deliver it, even if there's other On options. a local level, yeah. yeah.
3: Yeah. And I think that comes with its own challenges, because for creative subjects, music, dance, um, or even like uh, fine arts or anything like that, they, they require specialists. Mm. So uh, to really get a good education in those areas, you need someone who's, who's trained specifically in those areas. Um, and it's a very different discipline to learning in the classroom, uh, of like maths or science, where you can follow a curriculum, use textbooks and, and, and all sorts, and, and go along as a class. Well, Things like music are, are very specific to a person and how they respond. And that's why we, we have a lot of focus on one-to-ones, because there's such a, a difference in how people progress in these subjects. So it's, it's very difficult to put these into practice to to deliver it well in a school if you're left to your own devices to find and source these teachers who are usually freelancers and not through the normal teaching system and how do you know if they're any good i mean you you take a pun
0: so this was the situation already six years ago and, and you started pelican music basically to attack that problem right
2: yeah so i mean i like both ben and i went to royal college of music um and you know I had to I had to get a job so I started working for an agency very long story short I was put into this school um that was local and they basically at 19 years old put me in front of a whole class of year five 30 children and told me to teach them the violin with no training whatsoever and I was like this is nuts and luckily I come from a long line of musical teachers women that have done music education I watched my mother from a young age Mm -hmm. I know how to do that but and so I did it well and and you know it was successful the school liked me but I was shocked to my core at who this agency was sending into schools and what had been delivered as because the school basically trusts someone that says I do music because they don't otherwise They're, they're asking someone else to provide them a quality. So the other music teacher that they had there teaching instrumental music was teaching violin, cello, piano, guitar, and he'd never taught, he didn't play the violin. <laughs> and it was just horrifying to me that it was like how it's like having cowboy builders. And on another side, they were also taking half my pay. So <laughs> I was like, this is not for me. I, I, can't, I can't do this. I can't work in it. I can't have my name associated in that way. And the school, I said, I told the school that I was leaving this company and the school said well we'll we'll leave the company too we want you to stay and we want you to run the music or just do any music and have any music and so i started doing some you know i started carrying on with what had been happening which was some group tuition and i did that for about a year but it was so clear that it was failing the students that were there because you'd come and you'd get three children and they just learn completely differently and you'd have one child who was really struggling and then you'd have one child that was so able you failed both of them because you couldn't give them that that time and I just thought I would rather teach 15 minutes than have three kids in a group for half an hour I'd rather teach them for 15 minutes to have one-on-one time so we changed that and I started hiring friends to do instruments that I couldn't do anyway fast forward to sort of three four years of there we had 100 children learning as lessons, which was amazing. And they'd never had any music before. We started orchestras, we started choirs. And then I thought, I want to do more. I want to work with, I want to do this in other places. This is this is possible. Clearly, this was an outstanding school. You know, this this was a, a school that there's a big waiting list to get into. is, And if they were trusting people that were not great, there must be so many other schools that that's happening to. And I was right, so yeah, we started Um, and I stayed with that one school for the first year and then second year we had four schools sign on straight away to do it and then year on year you know once you have a reputation for doing it well then then the challenge for us is to prove that we're not the charlatans right yeah Um, interesting because there are so many people not doing what we're doing actually there aren't that many people doing what they're doing there are lots of music services but it's a kind of, trust us, we know what we're doing, but actually their staff are underpaid. They're not organizing things right. There's a huge turnover of teachers.
0: And you were able to demonstrate that because uh, as you took over the, the ABRSM, you know, the exams that yeah. they take uh, went through the roof, right?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Now we have 100% pass rate, which is incredible. Wow. One of the things that I really set out from the beginning was that I the goals that I always set for my teachers was, we should be producing students that, so long if they start in year two, year one with us, you know, everything is going right. It's not a crazy talented child. It's not someone that you think, you know, it's average child with having access to, at least to, to, to regular practice and an onboard parent and a good teacher, they should be leaving their primary school with, with a grade four or five. And I always said that, and our national average is grade two, right. it is so low. Mm-hmm. Last year was the year because obviously it takes four or five years in year six there was always a cohort of grade four or five leaving peddling back a little bit about how different our system is and why why it's kind of going wrong as in the British system we have a very different system to Europe to America to give an example we don't anybody can walk into a school and say they teach an instrument Mm -hmm. They, they play the violin so they teach it and often you know, head teachers. We've talked to head teachers, haven't we? They go, yeah, no. They, we've got a friend. My, one of my friends plays the drums, and he teaches the drums to them. <laughs> if you're in Europe or America, you you have to have a teaching degree, a teaching part to your degree to go into any mm. institution.
0: So you're competing against these people. You know, competing is probably the wrong word. Mm. People that actually are offering poor quality, mm. and you're offering something completely different. Of course, yeah. the challenge with that is you're going to have a more costly structure because you you need to have better administration better teachers and i think that you know as as pelican you were you were progressing but at the same time you recognize the challenges of what are you going to do you know you you don't want to compromise on the quality because you think that's really important yet at the same time you you do need to have a profitable business so you can grow and you can help you can go to more schools and and i know that ultimately led you to uh to be speaking with with ben
2: two minds are better than one and i have a lot of experience in how to run music departments make it successful for for schools and really invigorate the music i think of it more on those terms instead of necessarily like how do i keep it profitable and scalable Mm -hmm. because you know those that's the basis where i come and i was certainly coming up to that point of like how do we keep that legacy going how do we how do we make sure that it's solid and that it's it's going to survive the test of time and, and yeah that's where that's where Ben comes
0: in. Ben I mean you started Arts Revolution I think about a little over two years ago maybe you could talk a little bit about your background but also kind of what you saw and your solution to the the same problem that, that mm. Agnes was talking about.
3: Yes yeah, so I I'd been teaching for a few years um like most other music students who need an additional income Um, especially in London and teaching was a very lucrative way of doing that so um, I uh, got a couple of schools um, take me on Um, again no vetting whatsoever I just said I went to this uni and they were like sure why not (laughs) (laughs) so yeah but um, what was really interesting is I, I, I watched my student base really grow I just noticed a need. So the schools were really desperate, but the parents were also really desperate. They, they want a service that was really good for them. Uh, another bit of context is that um, I was studying at the Royal College of Music, and part of that, um, I was often working with organisations like the London Symphony Orchestra um, some other festivals that do education projects with schools and, and various things and I had been sent to several schools to do composition workshops, looking at a few works that I'd been working on and performing it to the kids and then doing question and answers. Uh, And then we did some sessions after where I'd go into groups with these kids. And what was interesting is that 99% of the questions came from the teachers. Oh, so how do I teach this? How, how would I? How would I do this? Um, I don't know how to teach this. What would you say I should do? What do you think is the yeah. best way to tackle this? For me, it was uh, it was looking at that need and then saying, well, there's there's no funding to deliver this, but there is demand, and I cannot deny the demand because I mean, I had I had a waiting list of of piano students. So like thirty on my waiting list, and I had. 75 already and I was just like oh goodness I can't take any more and I'm going to die (laughs) all these students Um, death by piano yeah death
1: by
3: by, death by
2: middle
1: C exactly (laughs) death by middle
3: C but um, to see this huge demand I was like well there's got to be a way and then I mean I've always been interested in business the first business I ever started up was a, a computer business when I was 14 and I actually would custom build computers for um, people at my local church who I don't know why you would trust 14 year old but they did <laughs> <laughs> and I would get this huge profit <laughs> and I would buy like keyboards and things and it, it funded a lot of stuff in my teenage years um, <laughs> and so there was this um, real interest in technology for me because technology was was rapidly growing when I was a teenager uh, into extraordinary things and so I mean, my first passion was always composing, and that's what I ended up doing. But actually, I just loved technology so much. I'd always build my own like, workstations at home, and like, I'd wire things through the wall, so it could do cool things. And I was like, well, where am I ever going to use this? Where am I going to use my technology skills? It was a combination of, it was like an aha moment. I was just like, there is demand, there's a need. Um, But there's progressive models of business that can be sustainable and profitable and have an impact for uh, poor families and help them. And technology is the driver on how you get that efficiency. Like you can grow those margins by, um, by investing in technology that can automate tasks that usually take schools time up massively. Uh, And that's why they can't really afford to do it because it takes so much time and effort to schedule, to build, to uh, lesson plan, to then assess and reports and, and, you know, it's endless what needs to be done. And it's just not viable for most people. But the demand is still there. There's there's willing customers. The schools are willing to pay if you can, you know, if you can justify it. The parents want to pay. So here is a business that can be viable, that can have impact, that can be profitable and can reinvest in itself. You just have to be really smart on how you do it. And I guess
0: the exciting thing uh, last month, you guys merged your businesses. And uh, so in, uh, you bring both uh, kind of uh, both things together in that um, together you have uh, 20 schools that you're currently servicing, that you're currently offering services to. And you also have the platform that you're developing, which is uh, delivering even more, uh, I guess, service to, to the parents and the teachers.
2: It is a historical business. Like, you know, the music services and music education in schools has been going for eons. Mm-hmm. But the arts has not caught up with the technology wave in any sense of the word, any of the arts. But like, even how orchestras do their things or anything. like None of them are ahead of the game. It's a bit like the NHS, you know? It's, it's a juggernaut that it's just kind of like, it's got a bit of technology, but it's still kind of about 10 years behind. It doesn't have to deliver the actual end product, but it really helps deliver it better, you know? Mm-hmm. It's not that we're suddenly, what we're not going is, we're a tech business that, you know, teaches people the violin via YouTube. That's not what we're doing. Yeah. But what we are doing is, revolutionizing how the arts are taught and making that possible by using technology Mm -hmm. to do it to do it efficiently and to do it for everybody and go you can you know we can reach many many more demographics by the fact that we don't have to hire a new person every time we get two more schools because we've got our systems enough we can use technology to help us we can use technology just like by doing webinars or whatever or you know to seem personal to our customers, without even though there were a thousand customers, they still feel like they have a connection, or they have a thing because we can use technology to our uh, to our advantage, and that they can feel like they're not this tiny, tiny, tiny customer in a in a big pond.
0: And I know, you know, you we're talking about technology, and we're also in this really difficult time now, where we're whether we're going into lockdown, we're in lockdown, or what that means for schools. Both of you. Um, you know, we're, we're looking at this because obviously you had run, your businesses were running with schools prior to COVID, and then massive change. I mean, how how has that? How have you adapted?
3: Yeah, it was it was a very sudden thing, and it was you know the decision was made. Let's close the schools, and so it's like I mean, I think every school in the country panicked. Mm-hmm. What was great is that we'd already um, had been investing in um, getting our online video tool integrated into um, our scheduling lesson planning and, and all of that and it just so happened that that had been finished probably a week before lockdown so we we just messaged everyone being like we're, we're reverting to virtual online lessons mm-hmm. um, at, until the schools reopen. Mm-hmm. That saved us because um, we were able to keep lessons going, we were able to keep our teachers employed and.
0: So now we're in a situation where schools are kind of back, but there's distancing.
2: So we've got, I would say, 80% of our schools back. We have a few that are not back. We're running virtual lessons for them Mm -hmm. um, because they just feel like they can't support teachers in. But the majority, you know, we invested a lot in having a safe and secure place for our teachers to go back. Because the reality is, yes, we can do an online provision, but it's not as good as the real thing. And we only really had a 50% take up. Right. Like it was one one in two parents just went yes or no. So you, you were not getting the same, even in the schools that we're running online, you're not getting the same uptake. So ultimately it's better in person. Right. We've worked really, really hard on how that's working. And actually half a term in, it's been really successful. We actually haven't mm. touched wood so yeah. far had many had any issues well, really
0: yeah let's put some numbers there though because i think our, our listeners would be yeah. interested to hear it's like you know we hear from the two of you who are both excellent you know professional musicians able to obviously teach and some people are thinking oh okay so you teach one student at a time but actually mm. how many lessons this year will arts revolution deliver even in lockdown
3: well so far we've scheduled twenty-two thousand lessons for this year yeah wow. Uh, and (laughs) we haven't done any advertising yet so we are and we
2: haven't actually got all of our schools Uh, properly back so that is insanely
1: awesome it's great
3: 22,000 yeah and we're hoping to by January we're hoping to have about 30,000 scheduled because we've got more kids to onboard a couple more schools schools joining in January and and this is under
0: um, a worst case scenario in many ways right because Uh, You know, as you say, you you do a combination of things because that's what we're doing nowadays. We're doing combinations of things. But ultimately, if you were not in any any type of a a lockdown situation, there would be all kinds of other programs you could offer. Right.
2: Yeah. So we don't have any. Obviously, we can't deliver any ensembles, any group things at all. You know, we looked at the ways we could do it. But just with the current bubble systems in schools, it's right. really, really complicated, mm-hmm. but that is one of the things that you know is a huge part of what we do. It's a huge important part of our program. It goes hand in hand with one to one tuition mm-hmm. and we get really good margins from those things. So the fact that we have you know that we're able to be fine at the moment with that just shows that it will be so much more successful when we're when mm-hmm. those restrictions are you know. Lifted. I mean, we're yeah. looking at ways that we can do, we can maybe do some much smaller ones, like slowly start to introduce it, and the challenges like concerts, performances, those are all kind of things that we're trying to work out how we adapt to, I guess.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the uh, the other thing is that a lot of people might be thinking, uh, do you deliver only classical music, but other there's also other types of genres that you, you focus on, right?
2: Yeah, so I mean, a really key to something that I believe in is we do teach children Western, the Western classical way of learning an instrument because it's a really, really great basis. It's a great launch pad for whatever they want to go into. But something that we really instill in all our teachers is to give them those tools to allow them to discover all those things and really make that connection. So we, you know, in our orchestras and things, for instance, will arrange a pop song that they can play because they can read it because they've been taught classically and then suddenly they're playing yeah. playing their favorite mm-hmm. pop song. Well we have jazz teachers who do jazz piano and we have a jazz ensemble that you know discovers those types of things and we're looking at finding ways to have some of our older children learn how to use music technology so yes yeah. they play the violin and they can sample their violin right. and mix it and learn how to use that in a technology way as well. It's all about showing that it, what's your route we, yeah. you know give them the tools so that they can think. I think sometimes where we get it wrong is we go oh you don't need to do anything like learning me, like reading music or but actually open so many more doors to be so much so much more free if you only learn one type of thing you're basically just pigeonholed in that yeah. whereas if you get your toolkit yeah and yeah. a strong foundation that allows you to explore absolutely yeah
0: Ben, you mentioned earlier, um, you were talking about impact. And I think that, you know, some, to a certain extent, some people think, oh, well, you know, this is great that you can, you know, in a private school, you could deliver this type of music, but that is not at all what you guys are about, right? How how do you address inequality in music education?
3: Our fundamental belief and, and value system is that everyone should have the same high quality tuition, so what you get taught in private schools, I want to see every state school delivering the same level of education, And and I think it is possible.
2: The real issue, just to butt in slightly, the real issue that we're tackling, that Ben will explain a bit more, is the fact that currently the system is that there are things there for lower income families and children. But they're a lesser quality. Right. Mm. Basically, it's, you know, if you're from a low income family, you can have subsidised lessons, but there'll be a group lesson. Mm. And they'll, you know, and it might get to be taken away for you if the budget gets cut. Yeah. So it's ultimately not the same mm. quality as a child that can afford mm. it. And that's, you know, what we're yeah. trying to do.
3: Yeah. And so we've got several uh, strategies on how we can solve this. Um, I mean, one of the ways that we do it is. Um, we we put our schools into different bandings uh, and so we have different pricing for different schools and so those with high growth um, and high uh, high incomes um, pay fractionally more but it gives us a slightly larger margin that that just helps us support the the schools that just struggle to afford it um, at, at its normal price basically Uh, And then we've got uh, the charity arm um, that we're setting up, which will work uh, with the schools basically to come up with things like pupil premium programs, where we're going to support children up to 90% of the cost by um, partnering with the school's pupil premium grant budget. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then what our charity arm can mm-hmm. subsidise, mm-hmm. so it's the same high quality. So there's absolutely no compromise in the quality. Um, and then there are there are other things that we we're looking into doing. For example, um, we, we talked about how there's no regulation. Well, we we really want to set up a, an accreditation program that trains teachers to a really high standard, uh, and gives schools the assurance that. Yeah, this is a fantastic teacher. We can trust this. Yeah. But part of that is that we can also use those training teachers yeah. to um, work with uh, families who probably couldn't otherwise afford it, mm-hmm. or schools who probably couldn't afford the full breadth of our programmes. Uh, and, and we can give them a, a, a platform to learn with someone absolutely smashing. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're giving that support to those teachers. and, and we're looking at all the strategies we can do that that doesn't compromise quality but yeah. gives everyone the same chance
0: so maybe you can explain a little the the charity arm mm. it's like uh, how does that work exactly and how is it affiliated with the, the rest of the
3: yeah so the the charity arm is um, is there basically to um, get grant funding and um, corporate donations um, and donations from people um, who care about the arts to uh, support schools who we would classify as disadvantaged, so um, loan funding uh, or, or help directly help families who um, would otherwise be disadvantaged in that area. Okay. So the charity owns 25% of the company okay. so that the uh, any profits that are made um, can go straight back into the, uh, what the charity uh, arm is doing and the work that they're doing uh, so there's a bit of a, like a, a virtuous ecosystem going on
0: so the the business if you think about Arts Revolution as a company, mm-hmm. so you have shareholders, mm-hmm. you're raising capital, and then 25% of those shares are actually held by the charity. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So yeah. the profits that are made by the company, 25% of those profits go right back into supporting those schools that would otherwise so not be yeah. able to. So
2: basically, the better that we can do as a company, the more impact we can have. Okay. So we're trying to create something that is sustainable and is outside of historically sort of accessible arts, education is intrinsically entwined with government spending and budgeting Mm. and Mm. funding and things like that and that is subject to political whim and whether it's important whether it is so one year you might have loads of grants available and people do amazing projects and they can do all these things and literally the next year if the government changes those are gone and that's basically you're wiping out a whole Future of possible musicians and artists mm. just by doing that.
3: I mean, you and I have both seen um, oh, loads of companies over the years who've done amazing things, really, really, really great <laughs> yeah. stuff. But because they relied on a particular way of funding, mm-hmm. um, if, if if the funding was stopped or it was halved, yeah, it just it disappears. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't have that longevity. It doesn't have that survivability to continue its good work. If 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 outside factors are you know
2: and I think that's a really important it kind of brings us back to also one of the reasons that you know the two of us have merged as well because one of the big challenges for me is that just morally I couldn't get behind is that I was a not-for-profit and therefore we would be doing grant funding but morally I couldn't get behind something that wasn't sustainable because the worst thing for me was to be able to provide something that was high quality and give a child an opportunity and then take it away. Yeah. Right. That is worse than giving it at all. Mm-hmm. Right. And I would, you know, and that it was a real struggle for me was to work out, how can I do good but make sure that I can continue mm-hmm. doing good? And that's, I think, something that, you know, hopefully what we're really building and creating is, is the sustainability, mm-hmm. is, is the ability to make sure that it is not going to crumble dependent on someone going, I can't afford it this year. I,
0: I think that's a really good point. I mean, I you know, the we look at a lot of uh, purely charity models and when they work well, it's great. But as you say, and funding can be fickle, it can go away, it can be there for only two or three years, and then what do you do? Versus the structure you have now, uh, you have a corporate structure. So, uh, you know, those, the people that can pay are always paying, yet the at, and they're getting high quality. They're getting, you know, what they're paying for. But at the same time, and you've been very generous because the 25% actually comes effectively out of your equity. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think some companies, they talk about, oh, I, you know, I'm going to give 1% of my equity. You guys gave 25% of your equity. It's important. And, and, and that way, you know, if you think about it that way, pretty much one out of every four people you hope to teach will be coming from you know a a demographic
3: that currently is not getting access 25 percent is yeah is exactly the national average for pupil premium so our target is that we will have one quarter of of fully subsidized children on our programs
1: great and um, to finish us off we try and do a quick fire round so we'll start with you first of all for this one ben so can you tell us about a personal hurdle or challenge that you have had to overcome in life and what that's taught you and how that's maybe translated into business or what you're doing today?
3: I think my complacency at school was one of the hardest things to overcome because I just wasn't really that interested in anything. I was interested in tech and the music, Mm -hmm. Um, but I was fed this, um, I guess, lie by my school that you you, you shouldn't aim too high. You shouldn't believe you can be successful like, stay in your lane, is essentially the message. So um, I had this dream of going to the Royal College of Music, and I was totally not equipped, but I had a dream, and so I applied to the Royal College of Music, to Royal Academy of Music, all of those, uh, and I got rejected <laughs> <laughs> in the most embarrassing way possible. More. Oh, awful. I remember one, I went to Manchester for, for one of my auditions and he looked at it and he was like what if i wanted bad off <laughs> <laughs> and i was like oh how old were you how rude um i was i was 18. Oh, right. so and i uh, he just was he just threw it across the room and said no i'm not interested um
1: how did you come back from that
3: well it was pretty heartbreaking really but i guess my naivety was kind of like I can still make it um, and I, I messaged the head of the Royal College of Music composition department and I said I really want to come and he was nice enough to invite me down and have a chat with me mm-hmm. and he was just really straight talking with me he was just like um, I see potential you have to find focus on how you can harness that potential uh, how about I put you in the Royal College of Music junior department for a while and then you can go through some of that uh, training uh, and then we'll, we'll have another chat after. So I spent one year um, in absolute intense training and I, I, I submitted my composition, I'd written an orchestral piece and um, amazingly my local youth orchestra, Leicester Arts one, played it around Europe, France and Germany as part of their thing. Uh, and so I had an amazing recording, uh, and I distributed it. And the difference in a year, I went from rejections everywhere, and then I had full scholarships from every single audition wow. that I went to. Wow. Yeah. And the moral of the story is: the moral of the story <laughs> is, you can do something if you work hard at it, and if you believe that you you can do it. Like don't let people put you in a, a lane yeah. and in a box. Yeah. Agnes, what about you?
2: less than a year into starting pelican i became disabled and i ended up in a wheelchair um i lost all most of my mobility and i've had multiple surgeries basically it was literally before we onboarded four more schools um and i was going in and out of surgery i've had five different surgeries just on my legs um which would take me out for months i was in a new relationship well you know we've been together 18 months and we would just moved in together and suddenly i'd gone from this sort of independent woman to you know, ask my boyfriend to shave my legs. It was it was really galling. Um, yeah, but I mean, seriously, and I think people at the time like it could have gone one of two ways. It really could have gone one of two ways, and you know, people have always said, or oh, you know," I just "Don't know how I don't know how you've done it." You're so strong, and I, I think my business saved me mentally. You know you lose being in a wheelchair and having to have ask people to do everything for you mm-hmm. um, is incredibly humbling and you know I still go in and out and I still walk with a stick. You go either one of two ways and by having a business and being passionate about it in the way that I was, it is a reason to get up every day and it is a reason to carry on and to have to do something mm-hmm. and it means that the, the, in a way the challenges of growing it and the hardship of growing a fledgling business is kind of put into context of your life as well. And I think what it's taught me is that resilience, but also I, I'm, you know, still in that process of learning. I think, you know, being, being a woman in business is one thing, that's hard in itself. Being a disabled woman in business is a whole other ball game. Mm-hmm. Um, and two, so three years ago, I got diagnosed with Crohn's disease as well. So I, have, I mean, I have a lot of health problems. In fact, my whole, business life has been into it's been kind of part of the same and I'm sort of lucky in a very kind of almost weird but macabre way that I am actually surrounded by a lot of incredibly strong disabled women okay. um, in my life who, you know, we, we talk to each other a lot and some one of the things that we really work on and that we've talked about is the ability to be strong, capable and represent yourself as this this mm-hmm. this person and also be vulnerable, and not pretend that you are not disabled, yes. and that you are not ill, and be able to, to say that strongly and, and confidently without people underestimating you. Mm. And that's a real challenge, because actually, people's instinct is just to worry about it, or to think, oh, does that mean she's as, uh, you're going to be as you know, consistent, is she gonna tap out, is she gonna be able, not be able to do these things? But it's also not helpful to pretend that you're not that way. Yeah. So it's a constant, you know, and that's an evolving challenge for me. And I, I still do, you know, I'm, I'm not better. But yeah.
1: There's a saying that goes, you know, we impress with our strengths, but we connect with our vulnerabilities. Mm. And I think that's something that what you've just said has just totally reminded me of that. Just quickly following on from that. Mm. What, very quickly, what one piece of advice would you give your younger self?
2: I would say um, there isn't a right path. I think that's a really important thing for young women as well, is that in this country, we're forced to make these life-changing choices at like 14 years old. And we're told, you know, if you want to be a doctor, you better know it at 14 to get those right GCSEs and get yourself that way. And I see it in my students as well. And I remember like being so, I'm going to be a violinist, I'm going to be a violinist. And actually, you know, your life evolves along that way, and, and these, these experiences come and go, and I had a lot of negative experiences, but all those experiences like inform you and create who you're going to be, and they're all even if they're negative, they're, they're actually really going to help you on the way. Yeah. And you can change your tact. Yeah. You know, you might not take science, you can still go do something else, you know
1: And um, what's one thing that everybody could do? To help you guys with Arts Revolution right now? Hmm. What action should they take? What lifestyle choice should they change?
3: I would say um, don't always think you're right so be, be willing to hear other people's a perception of things mm-hmm. and let that change your understanding because I think that will really help us in this mission as well it'll help help you in, poli- in these politically bizarre Times we're all learning this together, and I think if we can learn from each other, like
2: yeah. I think also allowing children to be passionate about about creativity, allow them to be creative in all their subjects. Just because they might not be focusing on their maths homework, allow them to be creative with maths or science or whatever. Mm. It's not it's not a deviancy. It's it. Yeah. it you know, there's I, I think yeah. bringing that in is, is something.
1: Create
3: pictures can... with your math formulas. Yeah. I don't know.
1: And then finally, what could everyone do right now, in this very second, to make the world a better place?
2: One of the worst things in our society right now is that people, it's just black and white. It's like, Mm. you're either right or you're wrong, whatever side of the spectrum you're on. Mm. And if you don't, if you like this person, I'm never gonna talk to them. And if you don't like, you have to, if you can't discuss something you're part of the problem.
0: Yeah. Well, Agnes and Ben, it's been great talking to you. Hopefully, we can keep the conversation going. Yeah, So, Absolutely. And we're really looking forward to uh, hearing what happens with uh, with Arts Revolution as you kind of go to expand your offering and also uh, the amazing plans you have uh, already that you're doing with uh, the current. Timings, but what you'll be able to do when uh, you have more access and students can can come and even get more of your offerings. Thank you so much. Well, thank you so much for having
3: us, and yeah, really great to talk, uh, chat with you.
0: Thanks for listening to this week's show. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. Why not tweet us at Impact Central UK and let us know what you'd like to hear on a future podcast? We look forward to welcoming you back next week as we discover. Why better founders build better businesses.